The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsville. Thanks for tuning in. So today we have with us Tony Jackson, co-founder and president of the Westside Legends and lifelong Pittsfielder who now resides in Atlanta. The group was established to recognize and celebrate the former and current residents of the West Side who have made an impact. And today, the West Side Legends has expanded its reach, establishing itself as a neighborhood revitalization nonprofit, actively participating in conversations and initiatives pertaining to the growth and advancement of the West Side. So welcome, Tony. Let's get started. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get started. Nice to talk to you, Roberta. All right. So let's start with some background. You were born in New Brunswick, New Jersey, to Horace Jackson and Julie Dillard. And your father's side of the family is from Jersey, and your mother's side is from the West Side. And your grandmother, May Eden Dillard's home on Satinet, was actually included in the Berkshire Eagle article um, on redlining. Is that where your mom grew up in that home? Yes, my mother grew up in that home with my aunts and uncles and my grandmother and grandfather. Uh, she went to high school and uh, graduated high school there and then she moved to New Jersey. And then we were there the short time we moved back to Pittsburgh shortly after that. Okay. All right. So um, tell me a little bit, what brought her out to Jersey initially? Well, uh, you know, it was initially love, right? So she met my father. They fell in love uh, shortly after that. I was conceived, and I was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. After that, my father went off to the Air Force, and my mother decided that she wanted to be back home with her family for some more support with the family, so we moved back to Pittsburgh and back to my mother's side of the family. All right. And when you moved to Pittsburgh, what age were you? I was probably one, two. Hmm. And we stayed at that house uh, in that area until 67. So I was uh, one through five. One through five. All right. Um, Now, do you have any ties to Jersey still? I have a lot of ties to Jersey. My story is I spent my earlier days growing up in Pittsburgh on the west side and my adult years in New Jersey and New York. All right. From 82 on. I moved to, to uh, Charlotte and then Atlanta. So Jersey is my second home. I probably spent the most of my adult life in New Jersey. All right. So you 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 almost have a dual identity then, like Pittsville and Jersey. Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Best of the both worlds, I like to say. It. That's right. I like that. All right. So tell me a little bit. I mean, you were a kid growing up in the 60s and the 70s. Um. Tell me a little bit about that experience. And obviously you have this dual identity where you factor in Jersey too at some point, but for the Pittsville end of things, um, what was it like to grow up in Pittsville during that time? It was incredible. It was a great start to my earlier years, my very formative years, where it was based on community. So everybody that lived in that area uh, was, everybody knew each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a community helping to raise me. 
you know, my mother um, had a young daughter, um, and my daughter stayed at my grandmother's house. Okay. So we always went to my grandmother's house every day. Right. So along the way, there was other families. The Telefero family was there. There was a Berkeley family, the Gardner family. Uh, so I grew up with people watching me and taking care of me so my mother could go to work and do different things. And it was just easier to have a community watch over each other. Right. So we all grew up like an extended family within mm. that neighborhood. So mm. that's why it was very important in the earlier years for us to do that. I feel like, you know, what you're describing, it 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 feels like that village concept where it takes a village and or even people who are outside of your immediate family would be there to offer that word of support, encouragement. If you are misbehaving, they would say something as well or maybe say something to you and then tell your parents kind of thing. And I feel like that almost represents uh, a bygone time because I don't I don't know if we necessarily have that same format today um, in in how we you know just raise our families and our neighborhoods. I fe- it feels very closed off. It doesn't feel as open as it did back in the day. Um, tell me a little bit about you know there's the the neighborhood. And then when you go outside of the neighborhood, could you speak to the difference in in what you felt or maybe what you saw when you left this sort of magical space and went out into the wider world? So when we started going to school is when we really noticed not having the comfort of the neighborhood and the people around it because they would look out for it. So when you went to school, you were there with different kids. And the neighborhood was predominantly black. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time integrating with the white people where they were basically the majority. And having to learn and deal and interact with them, being different, being a minority with only a few people of color in the, in the classrooms. And it was tough because we sort of didn't fit in, mm-hmm. right? So we had to learn our place. And we had to get along and learn to, to, to work with them. And we didn't have the support of the village anymore because now we're in a different environment. Mm-hmm. So it was important for us to be able to adapt to that. And that's why when we went to school, we basically looked out for each other. And I want to say this, this is important, Roberta. It wasn't just the people of color. It was the people of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So the other people that were not of color, that were white, they were part of the same thing. We right. would all hang out together and we, we found closeness by bonding together because we came from the West Side. Right. And it was basically, the West Side was the worst side of town. It was the most poor side of town. Mm. And all the stigmas that went with it. And they didn't even know us. They didn't even get a chance to know us. They just had the stigma because we looked different. Mm-hmm. We obviously dressed different because we couldn't afford mm. new clothes and nice clothes. Mm-hmm. So we looked different. Mm. But our closeness kept us close because we found comfort in each other, right. supporting each other. So that was magical. And then once we got into school, we got around people and they got a chance to know us. Doors would open, as in always. You have to let people learn who you are and deal with people of color, people of lower economical to understand your struggle. Right. And once they understand that, they realize that people just like anyone else. That's so. right. Now, I'm curious 
being in the neighborhood in, in the West Side at the time, were you privy to adult conversations around you? Did anyone ever talk around the children to say, like, the neighborhood and, you know, why are we all here? I mean, obviously, this red line and article came out, and we'll talk more about that later. But did you, did was there ever an understanding of why we were all in this part of the, uh, you know, city? And was there any kind of acknowledgement or recognition of that among the elders, or they just went about their business? Well, for a young kid, as you know, growing, back, growing up back then, that was adult conversation. That's right kids go outside right you know and they wouldn't give us the privilege of knowing that information mm. uh, as i got older and now my mother's telling me stories that i'm just shaking my head and unbelievable things that happened in that community and i'm going wow they sort of sh- shield us from that kind of stuff right in, in a way it was good because you get to learn people for what they do to you right not what you hear about what they've done to you that's right and that's a better way of doing dealing with people i think because just because something happened doesn't mean it's going to happen to you that's right doesn't mean it's going to happen to the people around you right so you have to wait for those opportunities and then you build from there and you figure out how to deal with it but going in with a reputation or a stigma about certain things is a bad way to do things so i think they sheltered us in a great way right and we basically learned to live together and be together right anybody and that was important. That, that I think just focusing on the word shielded, I think is um, it resonates with me because looking back. So I always tell the story that, you know, my I, I my family immigrated here from Jamaica, but I grew up in the Bronx and my church was in the South Bronx. And so I grew up, you know, I mean, I went to this church in the 80s. Right. And we're talking like, you know, this is still coming out of like the Bronx is burning kind of 80s. And this is the South Bronx. And looking back now, I don't have any feeling off that I was ever in any kind of danger. I never felt unsafe. It was we were protected by the people around us and we knew where we we just felt comfortable. So I feel like it's the adults who offer that level of protection and allow you to almost formulate your own opinions when you're able to. And I think that's the um that's the beauty of good parenting, right? That even though there are things going on around, the children still have a right to be children. They still have a right to experience their childhood and to just be kids. And it, you you don't have to think about all that adult stuff, right? You don't have to think about all the barriers and the challenges because you have the adults in your life who are mitigating all of that. And so it's a great thing that you were able to form these bonds. And I have to tell you, I have gone through a lot of pictures of the West Side and I have seen the diversity and you're absolutely right it was people from all different kinds of backgrounds who comprise the west side and that's why it makes sense now to see everyone and all the different stories and you see the last names and the different ethnicities and everyone coming together and sharing their stories and you're right at the core of it is the neighborhood the blocks the the memories that were made in these spaces um <clears throat> All right. So, you know, you have these great relationships and I'm sure, obviously, because of the the work that you're doing now, that things have um, continued. But growing up and in in the neighborhood, what were some of the things that you like to do for fun? And and I have something that I I, I learned about you that we we got to talk more about. But what were some of the things that you like to do for fun? Well, I mean, obviously, the big thing was 
playing with my brothers and sisters and playing with people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of different things. We would go fishing. My parents would take us fishing all the time. Uh, my cousins would come to my grandparents' house. So we always had a great sense of family where people were always coming in and out of our neighborhoods, in and out of our houses. Uh, I, I just enjoyed being able to play basketball and football and go fishing and go to the boys club and do all these things with people in the neighborhood and it became a tight bond. Mm-hmm. And then we always looked up to the older guys who would lead the way and show right. us right from wrong. They teach us some bad things too uh-huh. because that's right of passage to becoming a young man or a teenager. You learn from the people that are around you. Mm-hmm. And it was a great, great, great way to grow up. Uh, like you said, being shielded from your parents from all the other things that were going on in the world, and we just had a chance to be kids. Right. Ride bikes, right? Chase each other around, go swimming. Those things are important as a kid. Yeah. Now it's, it's social media, right? Right. Where before it was like, I'm coming over your house, we're going to go for a bike ride. Right, and right. And we would ride around the whole neighborhood together. Yep. It's, it's a pack. Yes, <laughs> we did that when I was growing up too. We called them adventures, and yes. we would go on adventures on our bicycle because we did not have the internet. I didn't get, we didn't have that until I was like in college. We had email, but um, and that was like AOL starting with that. But um, yeah, we would go on adventures, and literally it was to you know I guess you know you would knock on someone's door and ask if they could come outside and play, and you know you would go outside and play, and that whole the idea about the street lights coming on it's extremely accurate because that was like you saw those lights dimming it was time to get back home <laughs> it, it was it was so simple yes and, and very enjoyable i mean most times we created fun with each other right absolutely we, we would sit there and, and make jokes about each other and laugh about each other yes and it and it built up your tolerance to dealing with people, yes. interacting with people, yes, and, and people don't realize sometimes you get in a fight with your best friend, right, that day, and then the next morning you're going over to his house to pick him up and bring him back outside because you learn how to interact with bad things and good things. Exactly, that, those things are, those skills are immeasurable. Yeah, because that carries you on through life. Right. And you don't even realize that you're learning those skills when you're actually going through, you know, whether it's an argument or you're playing and, you know, you can't maybe have something that someone else had. Like whatever it is, you you're learning things. You're learning how to speak to one another. Right. And the creativity, the imagination. I mean, when you have nothing else, you have your imagination and it forces you to think outside the box. It forces you to be creative. It forces you to think about all the ways you can have adventures and entertain yourself. And I always like to say, you know, technology is great, but it limits, it limits young people in a way because it, it gives you everything. It, it just puts, it's everything is at your disposal. So your imagination doesn't have to work as hard. I, you know. It, 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 Roberta, it's just like, remember this? Our parents and our aunts and uncles would tell us, you can be whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. Just dream about it. Right. And then go after it. I think now it's almost like they try to force you into being, if you're going to be an athlete, you got to focus on one sport. Right. We played all sports. Right. But you never knew what you were going to be good at. Right. You know, so it just gave you a broad range of how to deal with people. 
uh, being part of a team and depending on other people on the team to do their part. Right. Help you become a stronger leader. Well, listen, you're absolutely right. I mean, all of those dynamics are so important. And um, and before we get into like your basketball, you know, career as a young person, when you used to hang out with your friends, you used to like catch frogs. Is that true? And then did you cut off their legs and, and eat the frog legs? Is that true as well? Yes. Oh, uh, my gosh. Those myself, poor frogs. <laughs> well, they, they were good. So uh, my friend, Charlie Todd, yeah. we used to call him Dr. Nature. Uh-huh. He basically would take a fishing pole. So we just go fishing, too. Mm-hmm. So me, Charlie, and Brian Goins, rest in peace, we would go out and he says, okay, you're going to cast your line out and you're going to basically put it on a, uh, where the frogs would come get it on a tadpole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you hook them and you bring them in and we catch them. We cut the legs off and we bring them back to Charlie's mother and she would cook them for us. And I never had frog legs before. And a lot of people says, oh, you know, they taste like chicken. Well, do they? I'm going to tell you, they taste like fish to me. Fish? Yes. Oof. So, <laughs> and, and they were good. And, and we would go frogging at least once a week. So... Are frog legs still a part of your daily diet? I don't think I've had frog legs since then. Oh. So, uh, and I don't see them cooked often. I did went to I went to a restaurant, and I believe it was down south somewhere, and they had frog legs on the menu. That's the first and only restaurant I ever saw mm. where they had frog legs on the menu. And mm. I wanted to try them, but I didn't. Mm. Well. I will trust your assessment that the frog legs were delicious. Um, yeah, um, I think I'm going to let you keep that one, Tony. But but tell me a little bit about, um, you know, from elementary school all throughout BCC, basketball played a big role in your life. And you, you mentioned the, the virtues and the values that come from team sports. Now, was it something that you felt that, you know, obviously you, you had a great gift and talent for basketball? Why, why did you gravitate to this sport? And do you still play? Um, during my earlier years, as you grow up with your friends, and Tucker School was a very, it was the beginning. We had great teachers. Mr. Tucker, Mrs. Caesar, Ellis Scales, and they helped us form those things that we enjoyed. And sports was a very big part of it. So the guys I grew up with, Gary Williamson, Eric Black, Frank Bigelow, Marvin Curry, Victor Johnson, we all played sports together. Mm. And here's another thing I learned early. We became very competitive. Even though we were close friends, we wouldn't let the other person beat us just because we were friends. Right. We, we were very competitive. And uh, I wasn't the most talented guy there. But my friends made me a better athlete. Right. And when you play around people who have natural talent, Either you either step your game up right. or you don't play. Right. right. So right. I, I, I was one of those guys that had to work hard. Uh, but my friends always supported me. Mm. And, and here's a key to that. And in fifth and sixth grade, we, we played basketball. And we were undefeated. Our very first game we played together, we played Barton. And we beat them 59 to 3. Wow. And we were mad because we let them score. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, what, 
kind of competitive our, our kids we are. And that's that were the guys I grew up with. Wow. It carried on. Did anyone uh, go off to play professional basketball? No one went off to play professional basketball, but I believe, you know, Kerry had a great chance to play uh, Division One and basically play professional basketball. Eric Black was a phenomenal football player, mm-hmm. probably could have played pro. Um, so Marvin was a great track star. Victor was a, a U.S. Junior Olympic boxing champ. So you can see the guys that I grew up with were very talented. Right. And then, you know, there was a guy also, Carl Wobble, who was equally talented and even more talented. Yeah. But didn't achieve any success because of politics and racism. And mm. that story gets overlooked a lot. Mm. When you grow up with the guys that you know their abilities and talents, and you don't see it prosper, you wonder what happens. And those are stories that are always missed. Mm. So I want to like to highlight that a little bit. But I had great success because I worked hard. Mm. Well, I think just as what you said about like that success, I always say that you know success coupled with access and opportunity equates to unlimited um you know um just areas of uh achievement and and i think what you're saying is absolutely true there have been so many people who were talented who had the gift who had what it took but because those doors weren't naturally open and they weren't available you can only do so much you have the talent you have the gift but that opportunity and that access isn't there. And there, it, with you know, between those two sets lies the challenge. And that takes me to my next point, because I have heard some of the elders um, talk about that, the you know, just the, the great work that they did raising young people like yourself. But then they would say, now go, leave, leave the city. And I had one elder who said that she always said that was one of her... Um, deepest regrets because the young people left, but they never came back. And the elders stayed. And I think the elders were able to see the transformation of the community without the young people that they had cultivated and raised to be here. So tell me a little bit about how you took all that in. Here, here is Pittsfield, the hometown that you love so much. But at some point you left so true because they put a lot of effort into us. They made sure we went to school, stayed out of trouble. And they wanted us to go out into the world, go to college, uh, better yourselves, become better people. But we never heard the part about coming back. So we all ventured off because Pittsfield, after the GD left, there was always limited opportunities. And for myself, I really wanted to do more things. I wanted to see more things. I wanted more excitement. So when I moved to New Jersey, those things were available. So I fell in love with them. I gravitated. You know, you're from, you're from the Bronx, right. South Bronx. New York was a magnet. Yeah. We used to go to New York every weekend. Yeah. It was like New York was part of my life. Yep. You know, we'd be up at Fordham Road, hanging out, going buying clothes. Yes. And you, you know it. Yes. When you're from New York and New Jersey, yeah. your lifestyle, especially then, was the beginning of hip hop. Yes. Yes. So. It was the heart of everything. 
it was R&B. You had the best singing. You had the best, you know, new edition. All those people that were there. Then you had the birth of hip hop. Right. And for a young person going well, up now, new edition. Now we got to claim Roxbury. New edition. Well, that's right. Yes, okay. New, new edition. I just so, have to bring that in. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's mass. That's the right. mass New York combination. So that's why I brought that up. Right, but right, right. It was very important to be a part of that. Right. So when you live in Pittsburgh, you don't really get that big city feel. Right. It's a small town. There was no BET. Let's, let's be real. There was no televisions about showing inner city life, mm. the rap movement, because it was all new. Right. So where did you get it from? people that came from the city, the people that were around that, they would bring that to Pittsburgh and the kids would gravitate towards it because that's what they were into and that's what was going on. So wow. we left Pittsburgh with dreams. Mm. And most of us were very successful. Mm. Uh, we got to a point where we said, wow, we did all this, but if it wasn't for Pittsburgh and the West Side, would we be where we are now? Right. And we said, no, and it's time to get back. So mm. that's, that's how we started, you know, getting West Side Legends to honor the people right. who showed us things, uh, playing sports. Mm. The leaders in the community who took care of us and brought us and did different things to us, supported us, corrected us when we did things wrong, celebrated when we won championships. Right. So we knew it. We were brought up to do the right thing. Right. The right thing was to come back and get back to the new youth that are coming through, it's our turn. Right. And I tell people that all the time. It's our turn to do what we were taught to do. And that's why there's a lot of people who haven't moved back to Pittsburgh, but support the things that they're doing. That's they right. Share information on the page, share pictures, tell yeah. stories. Because once people hear it, and all the things that we're doing are things that we've already done. Right. Modern spinner. The same things work with kids. Mm. Have kids interact. Uh, Halloween. Halloween was a big thing. So we did Halloween uh, parties. Yeah. Uh, kids love the magic shows. They loved all those different things. It's the same thing, but just updated. So that's our premise. Well, one, I mean, well, you know what? For those listeners just tuning in, my guest today is Tony Jackson, co-founder and president of the West Side Legends. And Tony, I mean, I think what you are, you know, referring to in terms of just, you know, once you make it, looking over your shoulder and coming back to that place that nurtured you and brought you to the place you are. It's it's so important. And even though I, I always like to say I am an outsider, you know, I am a you know having just been in the Berkshires 12 years I am privy to the magnificent and amazing stories of community and as someone who loves history on so many different levels I so enjoy hearing the stories um, about community and about how everyone came together and I like the fact that there was this concerted effort to um, come together in a formal way and say, you know what, mm, this isn't right. We, we got to do better because they would want us to do better and to help those young people who are still there. I'm curious, though, for before the group was established and the group was established what, in 2018, right? Yes. Before the group was established, what was the method of sharing updates and information? How did you do it? It would be. And this is really sad, but you would get a phone call from somebody and say, oh, did you hear Mr. Williamson passed? 
and I'm like, wow. There was a guy who basically started at a bank, cleaning bank, you know, offices, and became the branch manager, hmm. and a guy we looked up to. And I'm going, wow. I don't hear about things. You don't know what's going on. And when you did hear something, it was always someone had passed. Every now and then you hear somebody got married or a birth of a child, but it was hard to hear the information and share it amongst the whole West Side. Because, as you know, West Side people live all throughout the USA right. and the world. Right. So it was really hard until social media came. And we just gravitated towards the group page because people missing old pictures, hmm. getting updates on people's families. There's like people I grew up with. I don't even know the kids, but I see the kids playing sports now. Right. Before, without that outlet, I wouldn't be able to follow them. Right. And that's it's, it's sad. But technology and what's going on has helped improve them. So we're grateful. And that is the beauty of technology. So see, that's the positive. So we talked a little bit about the negative, but the positive is that it creates this comprehensive way of outreach, right? And so this way, if someone, I mean, you know, someone's in another state or another country, it's like they're still right here. So it allows everyone to be um, front and center and to be present. Um I guess I would want to ask you, because you being a part of the community, even though now you reside somewhere else, you know, you always have the West Side in your blood. What would you say um, in terms of some of the greatest strengths for the West Side right now? And then also, what are some areas of opportunity for growth? What would you say those things are? So the greatest strength right now is seeing groups of people working together and collaborating. Where, you know, prior to me getting involved, um, it seemed very separate. People were doing things and they were trying to get things done, but couldn't get a group of people to support the causes for all the people. Mm-hmm. That was, it was difficult to see people struggle because they had great ideas and they had great visions, but they needed, either they needed money. And then for people from color, you don't have access to money. You don't have access to getting loans and getting grants because if you're not from that world you don't really know right so i, I see that as a big uh we have a lot of people we have some leaders that are really stepping up some young leaders that are stepping up mm-hmm. working with the older leaders and that's what you need to turn a neighborhood back around to where it's supposed to be right and uh, i think we're pointed in that direction there's a lot of work that needs to be done mm-hmm. and you know we all know about things we hear about the West Side and the, the, the downfall. Mm-hmm. But getting control of the West Side, you know, we, we look at it as being a rebirth. And the way you basically buy back the neighborhood and do those different things are, you got to get involved. Right. You got to do your part. Right. You can't say, oh, the neighborhood isn't this, the neighborhood isn't that. Well, you're part of that neighborhood. You're right. part of the process. Right. And for us who live out of the neighborhood, we can easily say, oh, I don't live there, I don't care. But that's how you feel when you didn't have that experience growing up. Right. So that's why it doesn't matter how far you are, you can support. Mm. You can you can give information. You can share a good time. You can share a picture. And then bring people together to work for the same thing, the big picture. Right. Bringing the West Side back to where it was before. And it, I still love the West Side. And I don't think it's a bad place at all. No. I mean, we 
it's you and I both know. If you lived in the city, yep. and you went through the things that were happening in New York and New Jersey, it's real inside. Walk in the park. It- it, it really is. I mean, I'm, you know, again, I, I, I grew up in the Bronx. I mean, where we so I grew up in the Northeast Bronx. My church was in the South Bronx. But I mean, again, this is the 80s, 90s. So many things were happening. I don't know if I had an awareness of some of the major issues. I mean, you know, you know, I remember like race relations in New York City. It was it, there was a lot happening at that time, 80s and 90s. There were so much parts of the city were just like it was just it was really tumultuous. But it was good. I had a great I mean, growing up was great. I mean, you mentioned Fordham Road. Listen, Fordham Road was a corridor. You know, you walk up Fordham Road, all the shops on either side. You know, you had VIM, you had Dr. J's, you know, I mean, listen, if you needed a new outfit, if you're going out somewhere, you'd go to Dr. J's, get a short set or something. It was a place and it was a place to see and be seen. Um, again, pre-social media, people had to engage. So you did that through your eyes. It was a very visual experience back then. Um, and it was a great time. But I, I definitely know that, again, perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. And, and, and obviously, you had such a tie to this community. And so it's in your blood. You can't turn your back on it because it's in you. Now, i got to ask you for... There were so many families that knew each other back when you were growing up. Is it the same today where we have almost like those set families or is it a different sort of landscape in terms of people who comprise the neighborhood? Well, you know, it's different because back then the families were, even though they were separate, they were combined as a big West Side family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here's the interesting part. I remember people would come and move into Pittsburgh and they would become part of that family. We would embrace them. Now it seems a little different. It seems like there's certain people that don't want to be part of that community. They want to start their own West Side. Hmm. That sort of, it takes away from the big picture of everybody working together for one common cause. And I think that's that's some of the issues. Hmm. But when people realize that once you come to a place, you have to adapt to your surroundings and the people around it. Right. And you find different things and then you find where you fit in. Right. And your part. Right. And most people will accept you coming in and doing your part if you have a genuine heart. Absolutely. You're here to help. Right. But if you're here to, you know, if they think you're here to take over, right. because you guys are country and you're slow and you guys don't know what's going on, there's going to be some, hey, wait a minute. Right. Get to know us. Absolutely. You you, you um, made a good point. Any kind of community, where, wherever you go, the first rule of engagement is to respect the existing landscape. You got to know the landscape. You got to respect the people who are there because the people who are there took time to invest in that community. They took time to build. And so it's so important that you don't just come in roughshod and try to tear everything down or say, hey, I'm going to take over. It's how can I collaborate? How can I work with the people who have always been here? That's the first rule of engagement. And I I feel like if more folks adopted that, then we would have more. We would have a stronger show of force and unity 
because the people who are there, they they deserve that um, that 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 respect and that acknowledgement. Um, all right, so. We, we talked about a little bit the genesis of the West Side Legends with, with this. And we know that on the, the group was created on April 24th, 2018. And this was the Facebook group. Since then, the West Side Legends has moved beyond a, a Facebook group. And you have established yourself as a force to be reckoned with. Right. You are this nonprofit revitalization group. Um, there are so many conversations that I am sometimes privy to. And I hear the West Side Legends come up. Oh, you need to talk to Tony Jackson. Oh, you need to talk to Beverly Bolden. Oh, you need to talk to the West Side Legends. And that shows that one. It, it, it's not just within the group, but that notoriety has extended outside of that. What were some of the things that you and Beverly and all the rest of the executive and leadership team did to establish that show of force with partners in the community? You know, the, the biggest thing is we are all driven by getting things done. Uh, we, we don't like to sit and plan and talk about, oh, we want to do this, we want to do that. We take the things we know and believe that work and we execute them. And, you know, myself, Beverly, Marvin, Lloyd, my brother Troy, Dolores, we all figure out what we need to do. And that's the great part about it. We don't get caught up with, okay, well, we want to do this, but we don't have any money. Mm -hmm. When we first started, each one of us would take money out of our pockets to buy candy for the kids. We would be able to say, okay, well, we can't do this, but we're going to cook hamburgers and hot dogs for the kids. We didn't make excuses or limit to what we wanted to do because we didn't have money. And the other part of that is once you start to do that, people start to see you care about people. You know, this is the deal to life. If you show you care about people, people will respond. Right. And other people will respond. Mm -hmm. Every time we've done something, other people have seen the work that we've done and say, hey, I want to be involved with it. Hey, how can I get involved with them? Right. And people bring us things, and we're just basically facilitators to getting things done. And we are driven to make things happen. Mm. I mean, we've seen some of our work, yep. heard some of the stories and stuff, and we welcome other people because we want to get a part of that train as that train's moving down the tracks and going to the big new west side, the new birth of the west side, right. and be a part of it. Because I think people feel they want to be part of a winning team. We right. talked about teams earlier, and that's what we do. We try to be, we try to project positivity and getting people involved, mm -hmm. and we can get more done that way. So we love uh, people to get involved with us and support what we do. Now I have to ask: Are all the so the members, you know, yourself, Beverly, and all the other members, are you all outside currently outside of the city, or do you have any members who, um, or who are a part of like the founding group? Are they in Pittsfield? Our Dolores Wright is in Pittsfield, and I think that's the only one we have in Pittsfield. Okay. Uh, at the present, everyone else. Dolores uh, is great, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Dolores is incredible. Uh, you know. Bubba Wright was a guy who used to watch play football. Yeah. You know, Division One scholarship, uh, Georgia, mm -hmm. University of Georgia. And those are the stories that the young people don't hear. You know, take a look around. Lloyd Nolan is a judge. 
Manistee Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother, Anthony, is a state representative, right? Mm-hmm. And he just, Stephanie Wilson went to Tacana, went to school with my sister. Mm-hmm. She's an astronaut. Right. the first woman, black woman yes. on the moon. Yes. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> It's amazing. It shows what can come out of the neighborhood. And it gives not only young people, but adults, too. It gives them hope and it shows, okay, this is these are the individuals that came out. So don't think that your environment has to hold you back. Right. You can you can still think big. You can still dream big. But again, that the, the element of having the support of older people in their lives to say here's the best way to chart your course here's what you need to do gently guiding them navigating because it's rough being a young person is rough it's it's rough in general and in these times it's it's harder it's harder i I can't believe that people think just because you come from what they say the worst part of town is or the part that doesn't have the money it's probably the people who have the most fun and enjoy themselves hmm. because we just live together right. and we do things together. And, and that's what we try to do. And now we're trying to get other people involved. But before, we were just a group. And now people have heard of us and they want to join in. And we're like, hey, listen, can I help you with this? And we've had crucial people along our path mm-hmm. that brought us to the next level. Mm. I, can't, I mean, Tessa Kelly has basically helped us immensely. With the Riverway Park, you have park set up and right. done, which is a great accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, Rainbow Movie with you know Milltown Capital, right. Greylock. Greylock has been a great supporter of Westside Legends with the financial part of the home ownership program. So let's I talk guess. about let's talk about okay. that because I'm looking at the time and I you know I always got to keep my eye on the clock and I want to make sure we talk about the home ownership program, the buyback program, because, you know, as I talked about at the top of the hour, you know, the whole redlining article. And, you know, again, the elders didn't talk about those things around the children, right? Because that was grown folk, grown folk talk, right? And you you didn't talk about those things. You want to keep the children, you know, um, protected. But the fact of the matter was that the reason why the neighborhood was like that was because there was strategic disinvestment. Right. And so, you know, and, and if you were able to buy a house, it was really hard to do that. And you were probably paying a ton of money for something that you shouldn't have been paying a ton of money in the first place. So let's talk about how we're going to go full circle now with the home ownership program and the buyback program. So here's an interesting fact when you talked about the phone folks talk. So my mother just recently opened up to me and I said, well, man, did our grandpa and grandma own that house and sat next street? And she goes, oh. And I said, why not? Because my father wanted to buy it, but Mr. West owned all those houses, all those houses, and would not sell to people of color. Hmm. But think about that. You have the money to be able to buy the house that you're living in, but you can't buy it because they were not selling to you because of the color you are. Hmm. And I said, wow. And then I said, ma, what about the houses don't have any paint on them? They look bad. He goes, Mr. West wanted it like that because he didn't want to pay additional taxes for houses that people of color lived in. Hmm. And I just found that out recently because of this new redlining story and different uh, information that came out. And it saddened me to think that you could work so hard and have money to be able to achieve something for your family, but you couldn't do it because people controlled what you were able to do. Hmm. 
Right. So how do you start generational wealth? How do you teach your kids how to buy a house? Right. If your grandparents weren't afforded the opportunities that other people were afforded. Right. And that's why it's important for us to basically make sure that people of color have an opportunity to get a mortgage. And uh, Beverly Bowden put a great program together for people on the West Side to basically learn how to become a homeowner, how to qualify, mm. get pre-qualified, and help them through the steps. Mm. So we've been mentors to people in the program, and, and I'll, I'll give you our numbers, which are, to me, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. We have 15 people that are pre-qualified right now. Mm. They can go out and find a house and buy a house. Good. Uh, we've already had two people close on a house. Good. We have one person who just went under contract. Mm. We have over $2.5 million in pre-qualified. Wow. My original goal was this year was to get a million dollars. Wow. And we surpassed that in the first quarter. Yeah. So the just the pop just and here's the biggest thing, Roberta, and you know how we are as people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. When your friend gets something, right, and he gets a new car, you go, "Hey, how'd you get that new car?" Well, let that alone from them. That's well, right. I'm going to them. Exactly. The same thing with the house. It, listen, it is such. One, my heart is just um, overflowing because it it brings everything full circle. And no, does it erase the past? No, but it creates a pathway for people um, who are here today to start. And if we have to think about, okay, how can we how can we get back on the right track? We got to start somewhere. And this is a great way. And, you know, I remember something. You know, my pastor, this was back in Queens. He used to say, he said, listen, he would say, you know, loan the car, you know, but buy the house. You know, he would say, he said, listen, there's appreciating assets and appreciating assets. And those are things sometimes that if no one ever tells you, no one ever tells you that when you drive that car off the lot, you lose like $5,000, right? But your home, your property is constantly building in equity. You're constantly amassing, you know, it's something that you can tap into. But if you're not told that because you don't see it, because maybe the people before, not because they didn't care about it, but because that wasn't their experience, if you don't have that knowledge, how can you then do better? So when you know better, you do better, right? And that's why these programs are so essential. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. If you don't know, how are you going to learn? Right. Right. Who's going to teach you? And just like we said all through this whole conversation, is a sense of community. So when you know something, you share that with your friend. Share that with your neighbor. Mm. Share that with people you care about. And we decided that we wanted to help. How do you buy back your neighborhood or have a rebirth of your neighborhood if you're renting? I mean, if the rent levels on the west side is almost 50%. Mm. We have investors coming there, buying places, and renting to the people that live on the west side for astronomical prices, $1,200, $1,300, when they could have bought the house and paid $800. In mortgage. Thank you. Yeah, and like- build equity. And yeah, generational wealth that you can give to your kids. Yes. So, just like in anything, Roberta, you just said it. If people don't know, we have to teach them. That's right. And they, and the other thing is, once they see it and they feel it and they 
and see somebody who is just like them. Right. Get that big key, mm-hmm. West Side Legend, Greylock key, to move into their house, they start coming. That's right. That's and right. The, the problem with that is with the buyback program, we're trying to rebuild the West Side. And I understand people from the West Side, they want to move out. Hmm. But what I'm trying to say to them is here's stay. the important part. <laughs> stay because the best opportunity to make equity right. will be from the West Side when you build it up. Right. We talk about, you know, people coming in outside of the neighborhood and taking over. Mm-hmm. You can't allow that. The only way you can't allow that is if we start owning our own houses. Yeah. yeah. We're building our neighborhoods, restarting businesses. Right. And doing the things that you care about. That's right. And then, you know, the crime and all the rest of this stuff will go down automatically because people take interest in things that they own. Yes. Right? I, I say that all the time. Yes. Right. Yes. I care about the way I look. Yes. I'm going to get nice clothes. Yes. I'm going to make my surroundings look better. Yes. I'm going to wash my new car. Right. Right. Give them those things, it'll be automatic. And then that'll, that'll be contagious like the yes. clothes. But I'm hoping it's contagious like that COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't we don't want it to we we don't want to bring up COVID now. But yes, you're right. But you're absolutely right. We like we definitely we definitely wanted to um to have that feel of if if your neighbor does it, your friend does it, then you want to do it too. And you're you're right. There's that feeling of pride that comes about when you have something that's yours. I mean, it's really hard sometimes if you have a landlord that doesn't even care about the property. It's hard to you know do a lot of things if the landlord doesn't even care right so you're you're i i i so applaud everything that you're doing because again it goes back to the people who were there right these are people who are there they never left they stayed and when it's time to sort of reap the harvest of the growth and the revitalization you want to make sure you're there too you don't want to make sure that you move out because then you know it's it's going to be different so it's so important that the people who are there, they stay, but they also get those tools and the access to the opportunity so that they can to reap the benefits of all the growth that is around us. Oh, my gosh, Tony, we are we have like nine minutes, but. I want to talk about I, there's so many things in, in addition to the home ownership and the buyback programs. There's a lot happening. The West Side Legends, you guys are doing a lot. There's a West Side Block Party. There's a Harry Bateman uh, Fishing Derby. There's also stuff with Juneteenth. So let's talk about that. So, I mean, we're having a block party on the 28th of Riverway Park. Uh, we have a great group of people that helps support this. 18 Degrees, Greater Green, uh, Central Habitat. Uh, Blue's Crew is a new company that's involved. We're going to have a big raffle. We're going to give away some bikes. We got a ding dong car for free ice cream for three hours. We got food. We got barbecue. Um, chicken place for five hours. We got bouncy houses. Nice. We got canoes, kayak rides. Nice. It's going to be a great environment for the kids and everyone in the community to just come out and have a good time. Yeah. So yeah. look forward to that. Um, and then you said the Harry Bateman. Harry yeah. Bateman Fishing Derby. So Harry Bateman was a great guy who used to fish a lot. And growing up, that was an important part of our life. So we're bringing that back. We got 50 kids that we're sponsoring. And we're also getting them fishing poles so they can keep going fishing throughout the year. So that's going to be great. That's June 4th. And then something that you and I are collaborating yeah. with is the June team. Yes. And that's going to be a first time down at the ramp park. And we're going to highlight wall barrels, black art, in a new sitting park 
Nice. Down next to where the Riverside used to be. Nice. So very exciting. I'll give you the things that we're working on and you can share your information. And that way when people can come out to the team team, yeah. they have something to look forward to. So Pops Peterson did the Rainbow Movie on Center Street. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the most famous uh, black artists in Berkshire County. And we were grateful to work with him to get yeah. Rainbow Movie. Yes. So he has a new, a new picture, a new item. Now, have you seen a preview of this? No. Oh, okay. No, he tells me. He tells me it's amazing. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, if Pop says it's amazing, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yes. So we're going to unveil that on the nineteenth of June. Okay. Wow. And on the eighteenth, we're going to have a little get together and talk about the history, which we're talking about the red line. Yes. It's going to be a West Side World history on the eighteenth. Good. The Art Center. From 12 to 3, and we're going to share stories. Good. People want to hear those stories about what happened in the neighborhood and how it developed. So we're going to look forward to that on the 18th. But the 19th, Habitat's got a mural they're doing on a big brick wall on the corner of Columbus, coming down Columbus. Okay. And then you guys are doing. Yeah, it's exciting to hear what you're doing. Can we go over that a little bit? Yeah, sure. No, I can definitely say that. So we had a group of, um, you know, young people and the members of the community. And so it's a Black Lives Matter mural. And so this mural is actually part of a bigger project and initiative that doesn't just stop with one mural. It really is to highlight the rich black history that exists um, within the city of Pittsville, as well as throughout Berkshire County. So this mural is going to speak to that. Um, I won't uh, give away the design of the mural, but I will say that it is something that um, speaks to the history, lets everyone know. And when we talk about history, it is so very important for people and everyone to see what exists around them and through the stories they get to hear it and understand that your community didn't just happen it happened because of people that came before we are not just these little solo entities that just pop up out of nowhere we came from something and so it's important to understand that history and know that we are connected. And that history is important for everyone to see, right? Rainbow Ruby is important for everyone to see because she is she harkens back to obviously that's the Jubilee Hill area, right? That's a very that's a story in and of itself, right? But she also yeah. harkens back to little Ruby Bridges. Exactly. And it, 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 you know, Ruby Bridges happened and Jubilee Hill happened in the west side. Mm. So it's basically a parallel of what happened. And we want to share those stories for people to understand. Right. And here's the key to that. We want to reverse what happened previously with the redlining mm. and all those things to have a new course for the rebirth of the West Side. And it starts with this. It starts with honest conversation. Like they say, if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. That's right. And we're going to put all that together with help of other people. So we all have a straight direction. Right. And how to do this. Right. But we're going to do it together. Right. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. no. Does that mean we're not going to have arguments? Right. No. Does that mean we're going to have disagreements? <laughs> but as a good team, and right. a winning team, which the West Side is, right. we will prevail and we will we'll turn this whole thing around. Right. And we can sit back and say, hey, 
pass it on to the next generation. Well, I have to say that if the elders were here, I think that they would be really proud, even though they sent you out without the edict to come back. You did. You came back in your own way. And I think that they're all pleased and they're happy. And again, you now have taken and picked up that baton that they have given to you. And you are now equipping the next generation with all that they need. And two, when they get older, they'll look back, right? Wherever they go, they'll always remember, oh, you know, you know, Mr. Jackson, you know, he came back and he helped, right? And they'll always remember that because that's just just the, the circle of life, right? And that's what makes us go as as human beings, as members of our communities. All right. So I'm just going to we got about two minutes here. So one thing, who or what inspires you, Tony? Uh, my father, William Johnson, inspires me. Yeah. Show me the love of community. Mm. And sometimes when you plant a seed with a young kid, I used to just walk behind him and watch what he did, how people respected him, how people admired the things that he did. And he cared about the community. And he showed people of color to love yourself. Mm. Back in a generation where it was sort of like, you can't really say that. Mm. And he cared about everyone in the community. And that's what we need to get back to. And with that direction, I always say this. I think it's divine intervention by the West Side veterans that are guiding us through this path. Because there's things that come up that I go, I don't know to do anything more. And then someone comes in. Tessa Kelly comes in, mm-hmm. Dwayne Perber comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, all these different people are put in these places because they see the effort. Right. And I think the legends are looking at it going, hey, just keep working and we'll help you through this process. That's right. Well, you have it in you. They're in you. So that's right. So they are they are um, as much a part of this process as anyone because they have fueled you with all the thoughts and all the energy to keep moving forward. All right. We are down to one minute. If you had to choose one word to describe yourself, what would it be? Winner. All right. All right. I like that. All right. Um, Tony, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing just the history um, that goes beyond the, the or goes behind, I should say, the West Side Legends and, and how it came to be. And just talking about where you are today. If people want to find out more about the West Side Legends, where can they go? Can they join the group? Yes, it's a private group that we accept anybody that comes in. Uh, West Side Legends, it's on Facebook. We also have different uh, subgroups. We have Westside Mentorship, Westside Wellness, um, Westside Homeownership. So if any of those categories that you're interested in, sign up for that group page. We have all our information there. Okay. You also can go to uh, westsidelegends.com. Our website isn't great, but it's in the process of being worked on, and we'll get that straight down soon. But all that's right. how you can reach out to us. It's in the works. All right, everyone, you have all the, the tools to stay connected. I hope you do because the West Side Legends has a lot going on. All right, everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch Dues of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsville. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day. 